And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. Good morning and welcome to the show. It's, of course, Thursday as we get ready for the second best day of the week. Of course, wrapping up this week, heading into the end of August already. I mean, it's just Amazing how fast things go by. Kids are all packing up, leaving for school. My daughter's upset. She starts school today. So <laughs> she's like, I can't believe summer's over. <laughs> Back to high school for her. You know, starting school in August is unscriptural. I know. You know, it's very interesting. Like our whole street yesterday, you know, looked like a garage sale that was going on <laughs> because all these cars are pulling up and, yeah. and I'm included, right? I mean, cars right. are pulling up into my driveway. I'm like hauling stuff out to the car, putting stuff in the car. Everything that, you know, everything that we moved to our new house that, that uh, we're renting, you know, there's a, a lot of our furniture from old house didn't fit. Right. So yeah. the word got around all of our kids friends they're like oh i hear you have some bar stools you're not using can i have them and, and so i was like yeah come get them yeah so free labor <laughs> so, no kidding but yeah the whole street though yesterday cars like packing up getting ready to yeah, go it looks like so, a u-haul convention oh yeah it was it was so absolutely but anyway everybody's getting ready to go move in day start today michael leewitz won't be joining us this morning as he usually does because he's down in florida moving his son into college yeah, so university of florida go gators mm -hmm. so <laughs> Anyway, a uh, couple of things to uh, talk about today, of course. The Federal Reserve yesterday out with their latest FOMC minutes. Now, this, these were the minutes from the meeting they had in July. So now they released the minutes, and, and we all kind of get to parse those now and try to you know, wrangle out what we expect out of them. Well, on the initial release yesterday, markets had been selling off yesterday morning a bit, had run right into the 200-day moving average, a lot of resistance there. Markets sold off a little bit uh, yesterday morning. Uh, at the time of the release, and we'll go through some of what was said here uh, in the next segment, but at the timing of the release, the markets actually rallied back almost to break even because, you know, on this, this kind of idea that, oh, look, the Fed might almost be done, right? We almost might be done hiking rates. And this has really been the focus of the markets here over the last four weeks now, this four or five week rally that we've had. It's been very good. Um, very extended, as we've talked about before. But the rally's been based on this idea that the Fed would stop hiking rates. Look, the Fed's going to stop hiking rates at some point. That's kind of just, uh, you know, logical. And they're eventually going to slow the pace of rate hikes. That's also logical. And, and so the markets are really kind of running way ahead of the game here. We're nowhere close to the Fed reducing their balance sheet. And as we talked about yesterday, cutting rates back to zero, you know, markets are right back to where they were in September of last year, exactly when the Fed was doing $120 billion a month in QE and zero interest rates. But now very opposite to, you know, two and a quarter interest rates, potentially going to 275 in September. Obviously, QT at $95 billion a month, not QE of $120 billion. So, it's very interesting. Markets are rallying as if it's, you know, 2021 again. But the backdrop to the environment is, of course, very, very different. Economic data out yesterday showing uh, some slight upticks, right? Retail sales coming in a little bit better than expected. Again, be careful with that number. Simply means that people are paying more for less stuff. 
right? So we measure retail sales in dollar volumes. Now, the one takeaway yesterday was that people saw an uptick in demand in gasoline prices as, or sorry, gasoline purchases as prices declined at the pump. So people started driving a little bit more, but there was a decline in the price of gasoline, saw demand pick up a bit. But retail sales generally, general merchandise, construction, building materials, of course. Uh, people get ready to go back to school, buying stuff, you know, renting U-Hauls, all that. So as we talked about before, there's a really good possibility that we're going to see that second quarter negative GDP number get revised up into a positive number, be just slightly positive, 0.1, growth. Um, and very likely that qu quarter three could actually show some positive growth here, maybe around 1%-ish. Again, very weak economic growth, but still positive. And this is because, as we've talked about before, all the rate hikes that the Fed's been doing since the beginning of the year have not shown up in the economy yet. And that was something they actually mentioned yesterday in their minutes, that there's a lag effect to monetary policy, and they're right. It takes about nine months for a rate hike to show up in the economy. So the rate hike they did in July of 75 basis points won't show up until March of next year. So that's why the real risk of an economic slowdown, i.e. contraction slash recession, um, is really more of a 2023 uh, probability than it is a 2022 probability. Too many twos in there. So... You know, that's, this is kind of one thing we've talked about before. You know, what happened in the first two quarters of this year, likely a correction. Um, you know, this rebound rally, not too surprising here. Again, we had very, very negative pessimism in the markets. And, and again, the very interesting global fund managers, as an example, their view of economic growth was as low as it was at the depths of the financial crisis in 2008. Now, that's slightly improved here over the last couple of weeks. But again, that's what I'm talking about. This negative sentiment we had, despite this correction only being about, you know, 18, 19% on the S&P. And again, still well above where we were at the peak of the market in 2020. So, you know, there's not been a lot of destruction of capital over the course of the last several months. But despite that, people's view of the markets was as if we just went through a financial crisis. I'd written an article about this. It's like, did we just go through a major bear market? because that was the view, the sentiment was so negative. It was like we'd just been through a, a disastrous bear market of a 50% decline because that's how investors viewed the market. And that, that deep negative sentiment as we talked about before is what provided that catalyst for this boost. Now, interestingly enough, everybody's well back into the bullish camp, right? Uh, Reddit traders are now back, right? And they are back buying option strategies, running up meme stocks over the last few weeks. Uh, they're back in action. I've got a story about a 20-year-old kid that made $100 million in three weeks, 20 years old. So we'll talk about, you know, that's just, you know, I'm looking at my son going, why couldn't you do that? Ben, he's <laughs> not going back to college. Exactly. Um, so he's set for life. Uh, anyway, we'll get into all this this morning, of course. Uh, one thing to really kind of pay attention to here, um, our overbought technical signals are starting to, you know, tighten up here a bit, getting closer and closer to a sell signal. We're going to get a sell signal in the markets in the course of just the next week or two or three. 
uh, potentially seeing a weaker September wouldn't be surprising, uh, potentially have a down month. You know, again, just these signals have gone a long ways. They're now getting very tight here, starting to constrict. And again, we are going to get a sell signal at some point here. We just don't have one yet. So again, no reason to be overly concerned right now, but certainly looks to be a time right here where you want to start taking some profits, reducing some risk, kind of rebalancing your portfolio a bit. You'll have an opportunity, you know, again, on a pullback towards the 50-day moving average is going to be probably one of your better opportunities to put some capital back to work increase your equity exposure there as well. Um, but again, you know, kind of need to go through this market cycle that we're in. Again, very, very good bullish run that we've had. A little bit overdone here, so a bit of a profit taking won't be surprising. Uh, when we come back from the break, though, we will. We'll kind of dig into what the FOMC said yesterday. They did make some interesting comments. Uh, talk about what that might mean for the markets going forward and what really the Fed may be doing. Again, also coming up at the end of the month, we have Jackson Hole. That's the big symposium. We're going to get a lot of Fed speakers out. And then, of course, the September uh, meeting of the Fed in terms of their next rate hike coming up. So we got a lot of stuff with the Fed coming up over the next month or so that will certainly impact markets. Quick break. Be right back. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. I've already published the daily commentary this morning. Click that link. Uh, get it now. Be right back after the break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Hi, Lance Roberts here. If you're like most people, your 401k plan represents the bulk of your retirement assets. And unfortunately for many, managing your 401k plan can be difficult. There's so many choices, so many things to consider. With just a quick email, a couple of questions, you can put RIA advisors to work for you managing your 401k plan. Get started right now at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, or simply call our toll-free number, 855-RIA-PLAN, or again, simply online at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Did you know that the word incorrectly is only spelled incorrectly when you spell it incorrectly? Yes. <laughs> One of those things you have to think about. I'd like to buy a vowel, Vanna. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the spelling of wife. Husband is silent. Yes. That is a true statement. Yes. I see you're getting on to Danny's uh, dead joke list now. Is this a new I, trend I, that you and Richard are tagging on to? I think we have an infestation. I think we need to kill that pretty quick. <laughs> Considering I saw Danny's dead joke list yesterday in his notebook. so oh, He has an actual list? <laughs> he has a list. Oh. Thank you for the warning. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, speaking of dead jokes, FOMC out yesterday uh, with their kind of their Goldilocks scenario, kind of the Goldilocks three bears, something, you know, something a little bit for everybody yesterday, not too hot, not too cold, kind of what you expected. Again, you know, these minutes are, you know, are crafted for release. These are not the actual minutes of the conversations that they're having. These are 
the quote-unquote minutes that, again, they, they carefully craft for the release so that it doesn't spook markets and, you know, politicians, etc. But again, you know, there was, uh, you know, quite a few things kind of for everybody, whether you're looking for that dovish tilt or for a hawkish tilt, depending on how you feel about the markets. You know, there was a little bit there for, for pretty much everyone. Um, Fed officials judged moving to a restrictive stance was required. Now, what does that mean? So we're talking about restrictive monetary policy. So in other words, I've got to hike rates and tighten the balance sheet to where I constrict the monetary supply to the markets. That is intended to slow economic growth, which will then quail inflation. So I want to make things too expensive for you in terms of borrowing money. I want to, I want to slow that demand of, of borrowed capital. So you'll stop spending as much, and then that will slow economic demand. As demand falls, then companies like Target, et cetera, start liquidating inventories like we saw yesterday. Um, consumption slows. People get laid off, so you have unemployment, and then that slows the economy, right? And as the economy slows, that drop in demand leads to slower inflation. So that's what they're talking about by more restrictive stance is required. So that right there tells you they're going to keep hiking rates. Inflation was unacceptably high, and inflationary pressures are broad-based. The officials also judged that the bulk of tightening effect was yet to be felt. So two things here, kind of a contrarian stance on that. So one side of this is, is that inflationary pressures are too high, so for the Hawks, they're going, aha, see, they've got to raise rates more. Got to hike rates more because inflation's too high. They've got to tighten that monetary policy. Hawkish. The doves go, hey, yeah, but wait. This is where we need the soundtrack from the man formerly known as Prince when doves fly. Um, judged by the bulk of the tightening effect yet to be felt. So the doves are going, hey, well, what that means is, is they've already hiked a bunch here. We're at two and a quarter and they may pause or, or, or stop hiking rates here because they don't want to over-tighten because the, the, the bulk of the rate height effects they've done so far have not been felt in the economy yet, which is a true statement. So lower commodity prices, of course, leading to a decline in inflationary pressures. Uh, wheat, as an example, basically crashed as Ukraine shipments have gotten back online. I told you this would be the case. You remember... Back earlier this year, everybody was jumping into commodities with both feet. You know, I got about agricultural and food and all this stuff because it's going to the moon and, and, and it's never coming back down again. And we're like, whoa, 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 just be careful here. One-sided bets tend not to work out well. End-of-the-world stuff never works out well. And we've had a big reversal, right? Oil prices have now come down. Food prices are dropping sharply, etc. Not surprising. It's the way it works. The playing down of lower commodity prices or cooling inflation was also another kind of statement buried within that FOMC minute release that, you know, really kind of picked up on the on the dove's ears yesterday. So, again, uh, like I said, a little bit of something for everybody and, and, and really kind of the come away with us. The, the committee could tighten the stance of policy by more than necessary to restore price stability. Again, hawkish statement, right? 
But then they follow that with, they saw a slower pace of rate hikes at some point. Ah, doves. Ah, see a pivot's coming. So again, something for everybody all through this statement. And that really kind of left markets hanging in limbo yesterday. So again, right after that initial release, when the minutes came out, the markets rallied back almost to break even. And by the time the market started digesting it a bit, sold off a little bit to the close. Now this morning, futures are mildly up. We're up about four points on the S&P. Dow's up about 41 points. So no big, you know, no big moment here. Uh, the big thing is, is the markets are pushing up on that 200-day moving average. We're very extended, two deviations above the two standard deviations above the 50. I've, we've talked about just it's technical mumbo jumbo, but just we're very extended here. And typically, you typically get a pullback of some sort. Just markets need a respite here after such a strong rally. You, you know, you kind of think we, you know, we've used the analogy of a car with a gas of tank, uh, tank of gas. Uh, previously here on the show. Of course, in Houston, sometimes it'd be better if you had a, a tank. Um, but, you know, when the car is going, it's got a full tank of gas when, you know, everything is very bearish. And we were extremely bearish back in June, July. Now we've pretty much used up that tank of gas. And so now we're starting to look for a gas station to refill. Well, in order to, to refill the gas tank, because we're not the Air Force and don't have, you know, plane, you know fuel planes flying around filling us midair, we have to pull over and stop. So that's what the markets are going to do. The markets have to pull over and stop here for a little bit, refill the tank before the next run. So again, this is why I was talking about just a few minutes ago. Probably a good time. Take a few profits, rebalance your portfolio risk, look for a better entry point, you know, when we get there. Um, just going through some of the other notes here, I thought it was interesting. Uh, several of the participants who commented on issues related to financial stability noted that on balance asset valuations had eased from elevated levels in recent months that is true they've reduced from elevated levels to less elevated levels they're still elevated we're still at 30 times earnings they're just not 36 times earnings anymore a few participants mentioned the need to strengthen the oversight and regulation of certain types of non-bank financial institutions uh, that also rolls over into cryptocurrency uh, and particularly uh, like companies like Coinbase and financial, you know, endeavors in the cryptocurrency space, uh, exchanges, those type of things. Participants generally judge that the bulk of the effects on real activity had yet to be felt because of the lag effect associated with transmission of policy. And that while moderation and economic growth should support a return of inflation to 2%, and I like the word moderation, that's, a that's, that's the polite term for recession, kind of like, you know, High yield is a polite term for junk bonds. Um, the effects of policy firming on consumer prices were not yet apparent in the data. And that's true. That's still got to come. You know, and one thing is interesting here, too, that is causing a problem for the Fed. If you take a look at financial conditions, those have actually eased fairly sharply here over the course of the last four weeks. So what the Fed is trying to do is they're trying to tighten financial conditions, and yet the market is trying to anticipate the next leg of financial instability by running up prices and, and hoping for that Fed pivot. And yet it's causing financial conditions to ease, which is going to make the Federal Reserve have to actually tighten interest rates more to get the effect that they want in the economy. So it's, it's kind of interesting that the market's working against what the Fed is actually trying to achieve. 
on rates, all participants agreed that 75 basis point interest rate was appropriate in, in, in the, this was the July meeting. Many officials saw the Fed could tighten more than necessary. Some participants said policy rates have reached a, uh, sorry, policy rates would have to reach a sufficiently restrictive level to control inflation and remain there for some time. So in other words, hike rates and leave them there for a while. That's not really great for the economy, by the way. Um, participants concurred future rate hikes would depend on incoming information and what that suggested and what the markets took immediately. And if you were watching the Treasury rates yesterday, they immediately dropped. Fed funds futures went from a 75 basis, uh, uh, almost a, a certainty of a 75 basis point hike in September to a 50 basis point hike on that statement in just seconds. So there's only so right now there's almost a certainty of just a 50 basis point hike because of the statement that incoming information, which is which recently saw inflation slow down a bit. You know, they're expecting now that the Fed will only hike 50 basis points in September rather than 75 on inflation. Participants agreed there was little evidence that inflation pressures were subsiding and it would take considerable time for the situation to be resolved. Certainly doesn't sound dovish. Participants emphasize that slowdown in demand would play an important role in reducing inflation. Okay, that's not great for markets. Now, reduction in demand, we just saw this with Target's reports yesterday, having to slash prices to get that inventory moved out because slower foot traffic, right, impacted their profit margins. And so when we talk about what we're paying for, right, so now we're investing in stocks. What we're buying is a future stream of cash flows and earnings. Those are all going to slow down more over the course of the next several months as they continue to fight this inflation fight, which suggests that stocks are still overpriced relative to what's coming. So again, just some things to think about. Anyway, lots of stuff in there. I'll be touching on this some more in our newsletter this weekend on our new Bull Bear Report. That'll be out on Saturday. Make sure you're subscribed at the website uh, for the newsletter. We'll have that out for you on Saturday. Like I said, get you up to date on the markets, all of our positioning, trading, everything we've done this week. They'll all be in the newsletter for you. Be right back after the break. You can get subscribed at realinvestmentadvice.com right now for free. Go do it now on the break. We'll be right back. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a para group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high-cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And 
and welcome back to the show this morning. So Brent always uh, puts interesting stuff on my notes page from time to time, and he, he put one up this morning. A new study says ice cream might be healthier than a multi-grain bagel. Yes. Yes. You know, just take a vanilla scoop of vanilla ice cream, throw mm-hmm. it in your coffee. Oh, man, yeah, just, that's good. Just, yeah, just go on about life, right? It's larapin good. You know, it, it's interesting, though, because... You know, you got to be careful with this. And, and we talk a lot about health and fitness on the show because, as we've talked about before, you know, your health is so important to your financial outcome down the road. You know, you know, we can take a look at society in general. We're very overweight and, and, you know, not healthy in general because of the food that we eat and the things that we do. And so this leads up to a problem later on in life where we spend a lot of time on medical bills and in hospitals and not really a great way to spend retirement, right? Uh, you know, you, you, everybody dreams of the retirements. So, you know, they show the Morgan Stanley commercials on television where <laughs> it's the old couple sitting on, you know, the, the I shouldn't say old couple because I'm there. Uh, it's the older couple, you know, holding hands or sitting on the beach. I love the one. It was a Morgan Stanley. I think it was a Morgan Stanley commercial a few years back and shows this couple. They're sitting in what, what do they call it? Ariandag chairs. Oh, Ar- if you hadn't have said that. I know. I can never pronounce it correctly. Ariandag. Klondike chairs, whatever. Wooden chairs that fold. Yes, those chairs. Yes. I think they're called Klondike. Adirondack. Yeah, Klondike Klondike chairs. (laughs) Have an ice cream bar and a chair. Anyway, however you pronounce it, they're sitting, you know, they're sitting in these two chairs on the beach and and they're, you know, and then the camera kind of rolls over and there's a third person there and it's their financial advisor sitting on the beach with them. In a suit. In a suit. On the beach, yeah. you know, retired. And this, this looks great, right? This is this is what we dream of as being part of our retirement. Um, the problem is, is that reality is, is that a lot of people, instead of sitting on the beach, they're in and out of hospitals constantly and, you know, having to deal with health issues and all this because we just don't make better choices. And we've talked about short on the show before, you know, make better bad choices now and it pays off later. And it, it's interesting when you talk about, you know, that uh, ice cream could be healthier than a multi-grain bagel. And, and, you know, you kind of go, well, that doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, ice cream is ice cream. We've always always been told that's bad for us. You know, Bill Cosby, and before he went haywire, um, he had a whole skit about feeding his kids chocolate cake for breakfast. And the wife gets upset with him, and he's like, honey, it's, it's flour, it's eggs, it's milk, it's, you know, it's, it's a complete nutritious breakfast. It's just in the form of chocolate cake. And there's not a terrible, you know, it's, it sounds like a terrible idea. But, you know, when you go to, the, to a restaurant, you've got to be careful. And again, you know, we often think about food in, in terms of a measure of, you know, that's bad because it's a cheeseburger, right? Can't have a cheeseburger. I've been told cheeseburgers are bad for me, so I'm going to have a salad instead. Be careful with that because if you look at menus uh, and now that, you know, because of the new nutritional guidelines, all these restaurants, if they have more than 15 locations, they have to actually put the caloric count on the menu. And in a lot of cases, that cheeseburger has less calories than the salad. You know, so losing weight is about caloric deficit. So if you need 15, 1800 calories a day and you want to lose weight, cut that caloric intake by 300 calories and you'll lose weight. That's just how it works, right? Your body, it's your body's a machine. You just have to feed it appropriately. Now I'm not saying you should eat cheeseburgers every day versus a salad. I'm not saying that at all, but all I'm saying is, is that just because we've been told that certain things are bad for us doesn't necessarily mean they are. And so there's just kind of an interesting 
take on this ice cream versus a bagel. Because it also depends on what goes into the bagel. That's right. Yeah. Slap all that cheese and butter on it. Einstein Brothers. Skyrockets. Einstein Brothers bagels is Mm. terrible. (laughs) It's good stuff, Maynard. It's (laughs) terrible. Cannot go into that store Uh -uh. at all. Um, There was a story a while back um, about this Seattle CEO. And this is, you remember back, we and we've written some articles about the fallacy of the $15 hour minimum wage. And there's a series on TikTok that I was showing Danny yesterday. It's called Gen X Talks. And this son, he, I, I would love to play some clips for you on the show, but I can't because the, the, the father is, drops the F-bomb quite often, um, yeah, you know, as a Gen X does. Uh, you know, but his son goes in and asks him you know, questions about, hey, I don't understand you know, this or that, about how you Gen X people think versus millennials. And he makes just and, and the and the father just lays it out clearly as it is. And you know, it's it's you know, talking about everything from online dating to you know, whatever. Well, he, his son goes in and talks to his dad. He says, Dad, you know, he says, uh, you know, uh, you know, if when I grad, I don't really see the need to go to college because if I get an entry level position out of college, then I can't afford to buy a house or buy a car. And he says, Look, if you get an entry level job, you're gonna have an entry level life that's the way it works and then you work hard you do your job you get promoted you make more money and then you can afford more things and he's like well dad don't you what about the guy that works at mcdonald's has three kids and his father says throws his he's working on something garage he kind of throws it on the table and he's like what guy has three kids and gets an entry-level job at mcdonald's you know that's like saying you know i went home I had sex with my wife, I have kids, and now I deserve more money, right? Because I have kids? That makes no sense whatsoever. What does that have to do with life? And, and this, is, this was that whole debate over this $15 an hour minimum wage, which is, you know, I need to have this minimum $15. I need to have this livable wage, right, to work. I should be entitled to that. And as we've talked about before, your minimum wage is zero, you are not entitled to anything. What you get paid for is the skill set and work ethic you bring to the jo- to the workplace. And that's what determines your compensation. And what entry-level jobs are for is it's a testing ground for you and for the employer to say, hey, you know, are you going to be good for this job or not? Can you, do, can you flip a hamburger and sweep a floor? If you can do that, I'll pay you. And then if you show some, some you know, gumption... I'm going to move you up to assistant manager, manager, you know, so forth and so on. You're going to get elevated through the ladder. The number of people making minimum wage in this country is about 3 million out of 130 million employees. So very few people make minimum wage, even though this is the crux of this. Anyway, so the the long story short of this is we've written articles. We've talked about the fallacy of the minimum wage. And there was a CEO in Seattle made headlines, and this was a – Back in 2015, when all this was kind of running around, he said, my number one priority is for employees to work their best in the company world. And, and my present has be, presence has become a distraction because he was making too much money. So he cut his salary so he, he could pay all of his employees $70,000 a year. And everybody was like, this is genius. Genius, right? Here's a CEO doing right by his employees. Um, Here, I'll just read read to you from the story. 
Seattle CEO announced in 2015 he was giving himself a drastic pay cut to help cover the cost of big raises for employees, has now announced his resignation. Dan Price, the embattled CEO of credit card processing company Gravity Payments, has resigned on Wednesday. Seattle Times reported Price stunned the 100-plus workers when he told them he was cutting his roughly $1 million to $70,000 a year and using company profits to ensure everybody would earn at least that much within the next three years. Um, well, the problem is, is that it didn't really work out that well. <laughs> and now he's resigning, of course. And, and again, it's not surprising. You know, you have to run a company for profitability, and that doesn't mean that you can just willy-nilly just pay everybody more money because if the company's not making money to cover those salaries, somebody's, somebody's losing a job, period. And this is why companies don't do that. Look, there is a, a level of skill that employers need to, in order to operate and run a business. And that's what determines your salary, your income, et cetera. And so, you know, again, you know, where people, you know, get misled, and this is one of the big problems, and we all talk about, hey, we need to bring semiconductor manufacturing back to America. Sounds great, right? Sounds fantastic. Let's do this. Let's pass a $50 billion bill to bring, or actually $250 billion bill actually altogether with incentives, uh, to bring semiconductor manufacturing. Let's onshore that stuff right here in America so we don't have to worry about supply chain issues. The problem is you can't afford it because Everybody freaking wants $15 an hour minimum wage or be paid some astronomical salary. Plus, they want, on top of that, health care benefits, paid time off, paid leave, family leave, sick leave, personal time off, you know, health care benefits, 401k plan, contribute. You know, they want all this stuff, right, on top of the salary. That's all got to get put into the, the cost of the product you're making. And so companies go, I can't sell it for that. People aren't going to pay $10,000 for a laptop. They, they'll pay $500. So I can't afford to have semiconductors made in the U.S. where they cost too much. I've got Because I've got to impute all those costs into the, the profitability of the chip. You know, while we're talking about this, I thought it was interesting to the same point. Apple just announced that they're moving their production not back to the United States. Having to move it to Vietnam because they need cheap labor. Be right back. Investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. 
Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. The Real Investment Show. Yes, just for the break, talk a little bit about offshoring and the cost of salaries and this type of thing. And, and the new trend is now called, is no longer called offshoring. That is politically incorrect because we shouldn't offshore. We should friend shore companies. This is the new term. So companies are now going to be friend shoring. That's as convoluted as social distancing. Correct. I, uh, AirPods, Apple Watch, HomePod, and more. Apple has big plans in Vietnam, apart from iPhone manufacturing, which they've already moved to Vietnam. This is from uh, the Nikkei Asia yesterday. And this is, this is exactly to the point. Now, why does Apple have big plans in Vietnam versus China? Remember the whole Foxconn story in China where people were jumping out of windows? They work for $2 an hour. And they just work them 20 hours a day until they literally jump out of windows at the, at the manufacturing plant because they're overworked, stress. So they're, so they're moving from China on the manufacturing to Vietnam. Big win for Southeast Asia. Why? The trend is called, I'm going to read to you from a story. Uh, this was in Nikkei Asia. The trend is called friendshoring. While it's a play on offshoring, this isn't about companies moving operations back to the U.S. and Europe, right? So it's not, we're not bringing these jobs back to America, ladies and gentlemen. Why? Can't afford it. Exactly what I said in the last segment. You know, you think an iPhone's expensive now at 2000 or whatever it is to buy an iPhone. Wait until you bring it back and manufacture it in the U.S., we export inflation to import deflation through cheaper products. The trend is called friendshoring. While it's a play on offshoring, this isn't about companies moving operations back to the U.S. and Europe, but rather seeking foreign alternatives that retain the benefit of what? Low labor cost, but with less international controversy. Nobody's picking on Vietnam. We've already done that fight. Taiwan's still coming. Apple's production diversification comes, comes as the U.S. and China already had an increasingly adversarial relationship. Of course, also remember the Trump tariffs increasing the cost on products coming in from China. That was before House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan, sparking anger with Beijing. The fact is that geopolitical and trade war tensions aren't going away anytime soon and will only push Apple further away from China. Though reshoring production in the U.S., here's the key sentence, the reshoring of production to the U.S. is unfeasible because of labor cost in general. Like what we said. Maybe robotics can offset some of those costs or perhaps set up shop in Mexico where there's an abundant supply of cheap labor and healthy demographics. 
Now, think about that for a moment. How does that help create stronger economic growth? And this is the whole fallacy of the political paradigm right now all across the U.S., which is everybody deserves a livable wage. Everybody deserves this. We need to pass a bill in Congress where we run up our debt some more to give people paid time off, family leave, sick leave, you know, whatever it is. We're trying to figure out ways to give people more money. The employees are all going, I want more. If you want to hire me, great. I'll come work for you. And, you know, but you've got to pay me. And kind of to the, the point of Gen X talks, you know, when I graduate college, I'm expecting 70, 80, 90, $100,000 a year so I can immediately go out and buy a big house and a fancy car and I can live the lifestyle of all these people I see on TikTok. That's not the way the world works. Only in America do we have this very distorted view of what getting by seems like. You know, in the U.S., if you make $30,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of income earners worldwide. You should be thankful. But no, we're not. We're upset because we can't afford the big house, the fancy cars, and we don't have what the billionaires have, and we're all jealous about that. So we need to take more money from them and give it to somebody else, which doesn't help the situation at all. If you want a stronger economic environment, you have to do three things. One, stop doing things that keep you from having kids because you need a demographic growth trend inside the economy. The second thing you need to do is start working for a living and getting back to the things that actually produce and manufacture goods and services. And three, quit demanding more than what you're worth. But see, we don't want to do that. You know, when your pipe busts in your house, you will pay a plumber just about anything to have him come fix it. There's an established worth with a plumber, an electrician, carpenter, tradesman, period, right? When you need something fixed, they can pretty much charge you whatever they want. That's a fair and honest wage driven by supply and demand. The less supply of those tradesmen that you have, the higher those costs are going to go. And if you think inflation is high now, wait until you start running out of plumbers, laborers, and tradesmen to do work. You know, we're all spending our time seeing our kids at college going, oh, it's okay. Get a sociology degree. Get a history degree. You know, whatever. You know, get the easy degree. Just get your degree and get out. It really doesn't matter. It matters, ladies and gentlemen, what degree your kids get in college. Because that will determine what companies will pay them in the future. You know, we talk about the gender. There's this, all this talk about the gender wage pay gap. They did a study just recently, and they found out that why do women get paid less than men? Because they choose careers that have lower salaries than men do. There's not really a wage pay gap. It's just the choices that we make that lead to the gap in wages between men and women. See, we never get to that point, right? We just look at the headlines. We just look at how much did women make last year? How much did men make? We don't say, well, why did women earn less than men last year? What was the choices that they made on the degrees they get? Their degrees primarily in areas that have lower wages, right? Teachers, nurses, those type of things. Not everyone talking about on average, right? Men. They make bad choices, too, no doubt about it. But more men are involved in things like mathematics, engineering, et cetera. That's just a function. Go to colleges and look at the number of degrees of people that are in certain degrees that companies want to hire. Take a look at the companies. They say, what are the top 10 degrees that you want to hire people with? 
I want mathematics, engineering, computer sciences, accounting, finance, those type of things. Those are your top 10 degrees that companies right now are looking to hire for. And they are willing to pay for those jobs. If you have a degree in computer engineering, automation, robotics, they will hire you in a heartbeat because there's not enough people out there that have those degrees. And they will pay you well. Those 10 degrees are the least populated among all the degrees taken in universities. Degrees like sociology, psychology, uh, history, uh, government, politics, those type of things, those are the 10 most populated degrees by students in universities, and those are the 10 least wanted degrees by companies. How do you think that works out when they go out to get a job? Yes, they've got a degree that's awesome, and they've paid $100,000 for that degree. What do you think it gets them in the workplace? Again, what's your salary determination? It's what you bring to the job. Your skill set, your talent, and your work ethic. And your work ethic is not showing up at 10 o'clock in the morning and wanting to go home at 2 and working two days a week in the office. Sorry, you got me off on a rant this morning. Anyway, the point is, this is why we have inflation. And this is why, ultimately, we're going to have more problems down the road is because companies can't onshore labor. It's too costly. We want too much. Eventually, either we outsource more labor and we have slower economic growth and a lower standard of living here, which eventually will lower the standard of living and the demand for salary enough that it brings manufacturing back to the U.S. or doesn't. You know, we all look back at the 50s and the 60s when the economy in the U.S. was booming, you know, hand over fist, growing at 8% growth rates, wages were high, debt was low. You got to remember, we were almost entirely blue-collar manufacturing. We had devastated Europe and Germany and Japan and Russia. It had all been wiped out during World War II. We were the sole manufacturing powerhouse of the entire world, and we manufactured everything here to rebuild all those countries. Blue-collar labor was it. Has huge input costs, huge multiplier effects in the economy. Wealth was, was very broad in the U.S. We, we had a very broad manufacturing and middle class in America, and America was strong. And we all look back to that, and we all go, man, could we have that again in the U.S.? Yes, we can, but we have to change our thought process. You go back and look at the boomers, my parents, your parents, how did they live? You know, they lived in 1,100 square foot houses. Cars cost $6,000. They weren't fancy, right? They were basically metal boxes on wheels. But it got you from point A to point B. No debt. Paid with checkbooks. Spent their time working, reading, educating, because they didn't have iPhones and laptops to stare at all day. I'm going to save this story for next week. I'll just tease you with it. Study claims more kids are fat and unhealthy because of global warming. That's another rant topic coming up for next week. It ain't global warming, ladies and gentlemen. But I'll tell you what the real reason is next week. Anyway, 
Uh, Richard Rosso, Danny Ratliff back here tomorrow for Financial Fitness Friday. Stay tuned. Our three minutes on markets are coming up. Our daily market commentary is out. So be sure and get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Sign up for our daily morning commentary. It comes out to you every morning, but right at 7.30 on the notes, you'll get an email getting you set up for the day, talking about our market update, trading updates, get you updated on what the markets are doing, economics, earnings data, all that there for you. It's free. All you got to do is sign up at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. So click, click the button below, like this video, get an alert, go get an email. See you tomorrow.